This is the Montana Outdoor Podcast, brought to you in part by Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer in Missoula, home of Boss Snowplows, CM Truck Beds, and Diamond Sea Trailers. Just go to rmtte.com for more information. And by Superior Hardwoods of Montana, home of the largest selection of in-stock high-end wood products and flooring in the Western United States. Let them guide you through the woods at superior-hardwoods.com. Now, get ready for more fascinating topics and the most interesting people you will ever find in Montana's great outdoors. We offer new podcasts most every Saturday. You can get a link to these podcasts by going to our website, montanaoutdoor.com, or by going to our Facebook page, or just send an email to downrigger at montanaoutdoor.com and say send a link to my email. It's that simple. Now let's head out with your host, Downriggerdale, and see what's going on in Montana's great outdoors. Hello everyone, Dale Moore here with the Montana Outdoor Podcast as we get underway. And, uh, you know, we have this thing called the Montana State Legislature, and it gets, uh, every other year, it gets underway for 90 days. And, uh, well, covers everything that uh, Montana does. And... One of the big things that uh, the legislature deals with is, is how we manage our outdoors. And that is a huge, huge part of Montana's economy. And so uh, with me today is uh, a couple of folks. Uh, one I know well, uh, Lynn Helligard, who uh, I worked a little bit with in full disclosure, worked with a little bit with her on her campaign and uh, very proud that uh, she was uh, elected from the Missoula area. Uh, Lynn, that's district, uh, which district is again, 92? Seven. 97, there we go. Uh, and then uh, also with me is uh, Paul uh, Fielder. Is it Fielder, Paul? Fielder, like a baseball player, infielders and outfielders. Mm-hmm. Okay. Paul Fielder, and Paul, tell us a bit about yourself. Which district are you from in, in the uh, uh, House of Representatives there? I'm in House District 13, which is the western part of Sanders County and northwestern Flathead County up in the Mad- Marion and Kalispell area. I'm a retired okay. wildlife biologist. I was a biologist for 31 years, got a bachelor's in fisheries and master's in wildlife, and uh, I worked in Alaska and Washington and a lot of work with endangered species whole variety of wildlife species over my career. I hunt. You know, I, I got into that field because I grew up as a kid hunting, fishing, and trapping, and I wanted to try to um, make a career that was close to those interests and been involved in a number of sportsman organizations over the years. So I'm on the House Fish and Wildlife Committee, among other committees. Well, you're perfect for this podcast, that's for darn sure. Um, well, let's start uh, with you, Lynn. Uh, what are some of the things in regards to the outdoors that you've been working on? And uh, give, give us a little background on how that part's going, and then, uh, Paul, we'll get to you in a second as well. Um, I have, was seated on the appropriations in what we call Section C, which oversees the DNRC, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, Um, as well as the transportation department. Um, So we were going through all those departments, um, you know, over until the interim. And now, and now we're hitting appropriations hard, particularly house bill two, but I did want to highlight some of the bills that we did get through the house um, that are on their way or are over in the Senate. Now we've got house bill 146, which Rep. Uh, Kazmaier put through. It authorizes landowners' preference for hunting deer and antelope licenses. And then there was House Bill 162 that Braxton Mitchell uh, got through, and it allows for electronic verification of hunting tags. So we're hoping that that will make things more efficient for our hunters. Uh, There's House Bill 440 that uh, Steve Gunderson Uh, got through, establishes that for multi-day reservations, if a party doesn't show up, then they kind of go into a pot of first come, first serve, so that uh, maybe more people can get out and enjoy the outdoors uh, for people that don't show up for their reservations. Uh, We have House Bill 456 that Brandon Lear got through, 
uh, gives the purchaser of general deer or elk tags the chance of a lottery for a super tag for mountain goat, moose, and mountain sheep. Then there was House Bill 522 that Marty Malone got through, and it sets aside 15% of bison hunting licenses for property owners with over 20 acres of land that is used by the wild bison. Well, and um, um, then there were a couple. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm fine. Go ahead. Um, I was, I was going to say there's a couple of Senate bills, 359, that was sponsored by Senator Vermeer, um, that would prohibit financial institutions from tracking firearm related sales, uh, which I think is important. And then Senate Bill 58, uh, sponsored by Senator Heinbach, um, that get ups or actually doubles the money uh, given to landowners that participate in the block management programs. And those two will be coming over to the house here soon. One of the ones that I wanted to talk about that I was hoping that your listeners might get back to, to us about is House Bill 462. Uh, House Bill 462 actually strips all of the money from Habitat Montana. I've uh, got a lot of emails on that. A group of us in the Appropriations Committee have um, suggested putting money back in, but rather than having that money go to Habitat Montana, we would actually have it go to the conservation districts. Okay. And for our listeners, uh, tell us a bit, what, what is Habitat Montana? Uh, either one of you can jump in there and Explain what that is. Yeah, I actually think it's a nonprofit that, um, and I don't know if it was there before or after, um, what was it? Um, I-117, the marijuana tax, that's where the funds come through for that. Um, so that was removed, but we wanted to put it in the conservation districts for a couple of reasons. One, because a conservation age easements do have, I mean, conservation districts do have oversight. Section C oversees them. So we can kind of keep track of where the money's going, what it's being used for, where we don't have that with Habitat Montana. Also, the every county has a conservation district. They're the ones that put the boots on the ground through volunteers working on the Habitat projects and that kind of thing. So we were thinking that might be a better place to put the taxpayers' money. So, um, and the oversight issue is is one that uh, I've heard come up as well, and is is a concern for some people. Paul, uh, what do you feel on that as far as oversight for that for that area? Well, the conservation district do have oversight from DNRC and also from the legislature. And also the conservation districts receive funds from property taxes in each county, too. And maybe if we can put more of this uh, fund that Lynn was talking about into the conservation districts, that might help take some of the property tax burden off that's going to conservation districts from the uh, property taxes. I would not argue with that. <laughs> uh, the the property taxes are, are, are a major issue here. Um, so when Lynn, you were mentioning that, you know, all these different bills that they got through, what do you mean by that? They are they, they are not law at this point, correct? No, they're not correct. They basically made it typically how a bill works is um, we take it to uh, the appropriate committee. So, um, and then if it makes it through that committee's hearing, then it goes to the legislative floor and we hear it, which is called second reading. And then if it makes it through second reading, then it goes to third, third reading. And if it makes it through that, then it's transmitted over to the Senate unless uh, the ones that have appropriations or money tied to them after second reading, those are referred down to the Appropriations Committee, which is where that House Bill 462 has been sitting for a couple weeks with us trying to figure out what to do with it. And then when Appropriations gets done with it, it will go back to the floor. And then um, if it makes it through that third reading, then it will um, go back. And, you know, the Appropriations can put amendments on it, which is what we did. 
mm-hmm. um, changing the percentages on on that. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you explained that well, and this is where I, I feel this is really important. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast with you too is that uh, this is a critical time when I, I think a lot of our listeners may be thinking, well, okay, it's the legislature's off and running, so. You know, we'll see what they do. But actually, they still have a voice. They have a voice through you two, for example, if if you're in their district. But you can also just say, hey, this is the way I feel about it. And that's something you're saying uh, about that bill uh, uh, that you're wanting to, to get some input on. You you would like people to, to say, you know, this is the way I feel on it. How do they do that? How do they get in touch with you, Lynn, or you, Paul, and say, hey, I was listening to this podcast, and this is the way I feel about that? Um, they can do it probably one of two ways. They can call um, the Capitol, and that number is 406 444 4800, so 4800. And they can either send a notification to every legislator or they can pick and choose which ones they want it to go to, or they can get a hold of any of us. Um, our emails are pretty easy this year. It's just your first name. So mine would be L Y N dot Heligard H E L L E G A A R D at L E G M T dot gov. And for those and of you that would be the same. For those of you that were uh, feverishly trying to write all that down, uh, we're going to put this on our, our website article. And then, of course, a lot of you uh, do contact me that are listening, and you you uh, give me a lots of input on what we're doing. And, of course, that's just downrigger at montanaoutdoor.com, and I will make sure that your comments get on to, to these two. Um, so – Lynn, is there anything specific in the bill that the one that you're concerned with? There's anything specifically that you would like to to see um, uh, people comment on? Is there something that concerns well, you, or what, what? What are your thoughts there? Well, and you know, um, I think I saw that we had like 4,700 bills. We passed like 1,400, so we don't have a whole lot of time to dig into all this stuff. So, you know, if they really believe that money should go to Habitat Montana um, as opposed to the conservation district, split it out, that's the kind of information I'm looking for so that, um, you know, I- I'm here to serve, serve our constituents and not necessarily my personal agenda. So mm-hmm. in trying to get, serve, uh, information is the best way that I can do that. And Paul, um what do you feel on this? Uh, I kind of have the feeling just personally, and I'll, I'll throw my two cents in since I have the two of you right here, that it always seems to me that the more local you can get anything, the better it is. When when uh, when the local people, for example, you're talking about in the, in the various counties, when they can get uh, uh, input right from the people that it is affecting directly – that makes more sense. Is that is that kind of how you feel as well, Paul? That's exactly how I feel. The conservation districts are made up of five or seven supervisors, and those are elected by the people in the county. So you've got a direct connection between the, the voters in the county and the conservation district supervisors. Um, they have their meetings locally in the county. It's easy for the local people to get together and talk to their conservation district supervisors and tell them what they like and what they don't like. Uh, Habitat Montana, it's kind of isolated. It's run out of uh, not the the county. Mm -hmm. So uh, government closer to the people is usually the better government. You know, we see that in our country. You know, it's it's easier to contact your legislators in Helena than it is to make a difference in Washington, D.C. Well, I agree. Just the way it works. You know, Montana. I, w- one of the things I love about my home state here is is that often y- you can run into your your legislator at the local cafe or, or that, and especially when we get down to the city and county level, you probably run into them at the high school basketball game and that. And and to me, that just is easier to make everybody more accountable. Um, I'm going to ask a question for. You're, you're, go ahead, Paul. You're you're correct, Dale. 
you know, you can, I live in Sanders County, you know, it's a small town, uh, small area, very rural. You can go into the post office and have a 20 minute conversation with somebody you never met before. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of a, a small thing. And every, you know, we're home on transmittal break and uh, you go to the restaurant or something and you're, you have conversations with everybody there. So that's what you bring back to this place. And to follow up on what Lynn was saying about how we can still contact and make a difference with bills that are going on, timing is everything. You know, the bills go through a committee hearing and say the House first. And in that committee hearing, people can come in and testify against it. And when it goes to second reading on the floor, um, that's when all the legislators in that body, whether it's the House or the Senate, they ask questions and they discuss the bill. And then when it goes to, after that, it goes to third reading where they just read the title and people have had an opportunity to get more information between second reading and third reading in case they want to change their vote based on additional information they might get. So then after that, then it goes over and repeats the same process in the other chamber. And that's where people have another opportunity to come in and talk on the bill, testify for it or against it, and then contact their legislators on how they might vote on second reading. So if a bill comes out of a committee, it's usually been pretty well vetted in the committee because the committee can ask a lot of questions of the proponents and the opponents, get a lot of information from the informational witnesses. And bills that come out of committee usually have a pretty strong standing when they come to the floor. But the timing is everything. When there's bills that are still being heard in the Senate and we're getting information, you're getting contacted in the House about, please support Senate bill such and such. It's not even on our radar yet. So just like in the outdoors, hunting and fishing and everything, timing is everything. So, uh, you know, watch for the bills that you're interested in, the titles and the subject matter. And uh, see when it's being heard in committee or when it's going to be heard on the floor and get your information to the legislators just prior to that. So it's fresh on their minds. And when you do something, uh, contact a legislator. Just don't give a bill title and number. The numbers don't mean anything after a while to me, you know, because we deal with so many bills from bill House Bill 1 to House Bill 800. You know, so they're all numbers. So give a a brief discussion of what the bill does and uh, why you're for it or against it. And uh, use your own words. We get swamped with hundreds, well, it's up to thousands now of emails and contacts. And a lot of them are computer generated. And uh, and that kind of swamps you and you can't keep up with all of them. So uh, if people are short and concise and exactly what the bill is, what it does and why they're for it or against it, that sure helps us when we're trying to review that input from the citizens. Paul and Lynn, I just want to take a quick break here and talk about our friends at Superior Hardwoods of Montana. Uh, they're one of our great sponsors that if it weren't for sponsors like them, we wouldn't be able to bring this show. Uh, they're located, Superior Hardwoods of Montana is located at uh, 5120 Highway 93 South in Missoula. You know, if you're going south out of missoula you'll see that great big uh, peak athletic center on the right if you're heading south well right across from there on the left is superior hardwoods now what you may not know is what all is there which is incredible the operation includes a 10,000 square foot uh, warehouse that is full of exotic and uh, you know domestic lumber of course as well uh over one hundred thousand square feet of flooring sits over there uh, i've been through the the shop uh several times uh, i mean this place is huge and you're talking about woods from like cypress uh orange wood uh the list goes on and on olive wood it's just incredible so when you're thinking about building, which, of course, is the time of year when we start thinking about, okay, the weather's changing, snow's going to be gone, hopefully soon, and now I want to, I really want to do this project I've been dreaming of. Well, they have the wood for you. Also, for those of you that have outbuildings, especially you farmers and ranchers out there that, you know, maybe you've got that old barn on your property or that corral that's you're, you're thinking about tearing down before you just tear all that stuff down and burn it or, you know, toss it somewhere. Superior Hardwoods may want to buy that from you. 
They are big into reclaimed woods, and man, what they can do with that. Uh, I was looking uh, with the Medlinger family at uh, a grain mill that they had taken down and repurposed uh, that wood. Holy smokes. It was just incredible. There's so many different things that this company does, you know, from their wide plank flooring, their, as I said, their antique uh, reclaimed woods and flooring, timbers, beams. You know, you want that really unique mantle, which I got at Superior Hardwoods for my fireplace. Uh, one of a kind. I mean, all that stuff's waiting for you there at Superior Hardwoods of Montana in Missoula. Again, they're across from the Peak Athletic Center, 5120 Highway 93 South. Um, Also, go find them on the web as well. That's superior-hardwoods.com. Superior Hardwoods, superior rather, dash hardwoods.com. You can also call them 406-251-2272. But check them out online and... uh, let them guide you through the woods. You're, you're going to be so happy you went and talked to these incredible experts, Superior Hardwoods of Montana. Now, we were just talking a, a bit, Paul, about the importance of people contacting you. And you brought up a good point, Paul, and that is that there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of special interests out there that, that all want to get their their point across. And, and you guys have 90 days to try to sort all this out. And uh, so the people that it affects the most often don't get their voice heard because they 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 are caught up in all that jumble and and so that's why i wanted to do this show as well as uh there's other you know folks that are doing shows similar that uh, allow people to uh you know get more of a direct contact in and and that and that's why uh later on in the podcast for you folks listening i'm going to give you uh more contact information and repeat that for you so that uh you have a way to kind of uh, get around the clutter and get directly to people who really do want to know what you think. Uh, now, question for both of you. I'll start with you, Lynn, and then go to Paul. Is uh, as far as Montana's outdoors go, it's it's you know one, it's it's huge for our state just in size, but also it is huge for our economy. What do you feel is uh, We'll start with uh, kind of a good news, bad news. We'll start with the good news. What do you feel is going right for the outdoors in Montana? Uh, what What do you see is okay? We're going in the right direction. This is good for our state. Well, I know we've had a lot of discussions on um, the non-resident hunters and the resident hunters, and I see us at least trying to put some emphasis on making sure that the opportunities are there for our resident hunters. Um, One of my constituents made a really good point. He said, most of your non-resident hunters are here looking for something to put on the wall. The people in Montana that are hunting, they're trying to fill their freezers. Mm. And and I think, especially with the economy, the way it is right now, that's a very valid point. We need to make sure that, um, you know, Hunting sure, I know, I know in my household, being able to have a freezer full of elk sure helps with the grocery bills. Mm-hmm. What about you, Paul? What do you see as going right for the outdoors in Montana? Well, I think there's been a long history of things going right for Montana. That's why I live here, is because of the outdoors. You know, I had a lot of places I could have retired to, but I worked my whole life to get here to Montana because of its hunting, fishing, and trapping opportunities. So I think that uh, we've got some good things going here, and that's been set up before we even got here. You know, it's been a Montana's been an outdoor state. That's been our heritage, and uh, it's those values that we want to try to keep. Uh, we, we've got real good outdoor values as far as hunting, fishing, and trapping, and harvesting fish and wildlife. And like Lynn said, harvest is an important thing. You know, I people like to put um, good, healthy meat whether it's fish or wildlife on the table, help their, their family. It's a, it's a form of self-sufficiency, and it's that pioneer spirit that we can take care of ourselves, you know, whether it's cutting our own firewood or harvesting our own meat and, and uh, growing our own garden. You know, self-sufficiency is 
part of the spirit of Montana that I think so many people like. Well put. Well put. Now let's get to the bad news side of it. Um, Lynn, what do you feel are, are things that we definitely could improve upon in the outdoor side? And, and this is where, you know, we get flooded with uh, all kinds of different comments from, you know, some going to the absurd as no more hunting or fishing. Well, obviously, that's not going to work for most of us. Uh, but uh, there's definitely w- places that that probably could be improved upon. What do you hear from your constituents? Boy, we need to work on that. Um, probably the thing I hear the most is um, how the out-of-state environmental groups, out-of-staters seem to be able to dictate so much of our policies through litigation or um, other means. Um, and I know that that's really frustrating to Montanans. We really don't want a environmental group from Tennessee suing us and wasting our valuable tax dollars on litigation um, that doesn't let us, you know, thin our forests. I mean, you thin your garden, your carrots, your, your onions. Why wouldn't you thin your trees to make that forest healthier for for the animals and, you know, the whole so I, I know that, that that frustrates me and um I know it frustrates a lot of my constituents. Yeah, you're not alone there. What about you, Paul? What do you see as uh things we could work on and do better for the outdoors in Montana? Well Lynn hit it on hit on it right there. You know, we have a lot of whether it's the outdoors dealing with hunting, fishing or trapping or our forest management, you know, it's the litigation which is messing us up. Uh, we have a lot of out out of area people coming in and trying to control what Montana does. The only reason I'm in the legislature is to try to protect the rights to hunt, fish, trap, and manage our natural resources, whether it's timber. I would much rather be doing what I've done my whole life and be spending my time in the outdoors. Instead of being in Helena, I'd much rather be hunting, fishing, and trapping this winter. Um, last session, we passed some bills. And they were, we passed three bills to try to reduce um, predator influence on our big game populations in the northwestern part of Montana. Uh, these bills were targeted towards wolf control and, and black bear hunting and provided more opportunities there. And we were sued in court by an organization out of New Mexico and California. So those suits came to um, try to cancel out three laws that we passed. Uh, last session. Uh, we've got the Endangered Species Act that we're dealing with, which is killing Northwest Montana, really. We're trying to control predators there. We're trying to manage forests. And uh, because of lynx and grizzly bears and, and what other endangered species you've got for the project you're trying to manage, um, we're, we're constantly fighting the, the environmental regulations. So what do you feel we can do about these? Because uh, I, I see a main theme running through here, and boy, you hit it on the head. You know, we, we I get so many emails and, and uh, comments from, from our listeners to this podcast, as well as the, the two radio shows that I do on the um, uh, on the outdoors, both uh, in Montana and, and Wyoming, and that is, is uh, boy, w- would you let us work together and manage our our own state lynn how do you see uh is there a way to to kind of push that that unwanted influence out of our state well and and i talked to senator danes about this um when he first was elected um if the federal government would just i mean it would be a big help if they would pass laws that no longer have our tax dollars going to these environmental nonprofits that are suing us. So basically I'm paying for suits that I don't agree with because the federal government's funding them. So, you know, Montana taxpayers are getting hit on the front end and the back end at the same time. So Congress really needs to get after that. And um, I actually, I talked to a few attorneys uh, before the session trying to figure out if we could uh, pass or 
set up a law that would be constitutional that would prohibit anyone other than an organization that only has ties to Montana, is funded 100% with Montana taxpayer donations, that those would be the only entities that could sue us over what we do with our state lands. Mm. Haven't quite figured that one out yet. That's going to be a tough one. Paul, what about you? (laughs) Don, I think what Lynn's referring to is the Equal Access to Justice Act, where if uh, an organization with a, basically they're attorney attorney firms with an environmental sounding name, and they file a lawsuit against the timber harvest project that's in five years in the planning. And at the last minute, they file a lawsuit to say, you didn't address the links distribution. You didn't address this. You didn't address that. And they file it under 14 different issues. And they, they find a judge that will rule in their favor on one issue. They get all their court fees, all their expert witness fees, everything funded back to them from the taxpayers. And Congress can't even find out how much of the out-of-court settlements are happening before the lawsuits are even finalized. So that Equal Access to Justice Act is killing the United States, I think. Um, The other thing is the Endangered Species Act. That's my area of expertise. And if we go back to the original definitions of the Endangered Species Act, what an endangered species is and isn't, um, we wouldn't have all the problems that we're we're being faced with. Because they're using the Equal Access to Justice Act um, to promote endangered species to stop projects. I've been working with Senator Dane's office and Matt Rosendale's office, Representative Rosendale's office, to try to move us back towards the original definitions in 1973 when the Endangered Species Act was written. It's not the Endangered Subspecies Act. It's not the Endangered Recovery Zone Act. It's the Endangered Species Act. And basically, it says an endangered species is a species in danger of extinction within its range. Now, what is the range of the grizzly bear? What is the range of the lynx? It includes all of North America, up into Canada, North America, northern North America, up into Canada and Alaska. Um, and a threatened species is a species in danger of being listed as an endangered species in the foreseeable future. So it all goes back to extinction of the species. And are these animals in danger of extinction within its range? No. But back in, the, I think it was the late 1980s, a chief of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service determined that international borders would divide a species range. So even though lynx might occur all throughout Canada and Alaska, north of the United States, and a few of them occur in south, you know, just south of the international border, it's considered endangered here even though it's not anywhere close to it being an extinction within its range. So if we can go back and fix the Endangered Species Act, not fix it, just go back to start enforcing it according to the original definitions as determined by Congress in 1973, we can solve a lot of problems. Well, I think you hit it on the head. So many times we stray from the basics, and uh, I think you've made a good point there. Uh, now, folks listening, well, they may agree or disagree, and th- and that's what we're here for. You can you can definitely uh, I'll give you some contact information towards the end of the program here, and and you can let us know what you think. But you brought up the grizzly bear, and this is one I hear a lot about. As uh, you know, I think we it's gone beyond. They're not endangered. I think we need a hunting season for the grizzly bear. Um, what do you hear? Uh, do, do you feel Montana would ever have a grizzly bear hunting season? Paul, we'll start with you since we left off there. That's down the road a bit. When a species comes off the endangered species list, it has to go through a five-year period where it's considered a species of concern. And it has to have, before it can come off the endangered species list, there has to be a management plan of how you're going to manage that species to ensure that it doesn't go back on the endangered species list. So that that management plan could include a number of different options, but it basically gives the state management opportunities to manage the species so it doesn't go back on the endangered species list. And that management plan is reviewed and approved by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So that's what happened when the wolf came off the endangered species list. By the way, the wolf didn't come off the endangered species list in Montana and Idaho and Wyoming through the Endangered Species Act process. It was done by an act of Congress. 
because the Endangered Species Act process doesn't really work for taking species off the list. It's a lot easier to put species on the list than to take them off. Mm-hmm. What about you, Len? Do you, do you see the grizzly bears <laughs> as one that uh, that we might ever be able to hunt? Do you, do you think the legislature might ever step in and take that on? Um, like Paul said, I think it's down the road, but I guess what concerns me about the grizzly bear is, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that live, uh, in the Bitterroot and they say they don't even hunt down there anymore because the grizzlies have basically wiped out most of the elk and, and things down there. So, you know, it seems to me that the Endangered Species Act is kind of a one-sided thing, um, and they don't look at the impact on some of the, let's say, outlier species that that are affected by these rules. But um, I don't know that it's probably the grizzly that's um, wiped out most of the elk and the bitterroot. I would say it's probably the wolf population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paul, well, they, uh, go ahead. I want to add to the grizzly bears. I've been working. Grizzly bears is basically why I got involved in politics. My wife was in the Senate. For eight years before she turned out, and then I came into the legislature. And we got in there because of grizzly bear recovery zones and the land management oper- uh, restrictions that are put on them and the lack of forest management that results from them. The grizzly bear is one of those endangered species that happens to kill people, too. You know, I've, I've worked with the state of Washington to help them defeat a a proposal from the Washington, D.C., where they wanted to introduce a population of 200 grizzly bears into the middle of Washington State. Um, Bad idea was opposed by all the county commissioners in those areas, and I helped them to get that curtailed under the Trump administration. But now it's being brought back again under this administration in Washington, D.C. I work with um, endangered species a lot. And between Washington, I mean, between Montana and Wyoming, Grizzly bears kill an average of one person a year. So it's one of those endangered species that, gosh, it's an endangered species, but it kills people. And that doesn't include the people that it just mauls and rips up and tears up and punctures with their bites and stuff that that don't die from it. So it's a very dangerous, endangered species out there, and and it should be removed so the states can manage the species according to uh, the, the, the state laws. You know, the... The states are responsible for the health, safety, and welfare of the citizens of Montana, not the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a bit uh, uh, about kind of the the overall look at the legislature. Um, Lynn, if you had to give a, a grade, uh, you're, you're in the Montana legislature for the first time. Uh, if you had to give the... Uh, uh, legislature grades so far in this session. How do you feel it's done as as far as uh, helping whether protect or, or guard the environment is in in protecting the rights of hunters and fishermen? How do you how do you score us there? Um, I would say that um, I'd probably give them a B. Maybe there were three bills the last week uh, before the break. Um, that I really thought we needed to get through that didn't. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to give him an A. I'll give him a B. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Paul? Well, the proper role of government is to protect the rights of the people. The people have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or property. And proper role of government is governments are instituted among men to protect those rights. So every bill basically comes down to that. Is this a proper role of government that we should be doing this? Does it protect life? Does it protect liberty? Does it protect people's personal property? That's the first check and balance that I use. Um, There's been a lot of bills that have gone forward that are good bills. There's some that have gone forward that I'm surprised that they went forward. And there's some bills that have been defeated or votes against them that I just shake my head. Um, I, it, it, it's a frustrating sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. that, that's the best I can say. Okay. You no, know, we we're talking, we're talking about a lot of issues here and, and, uh, I've got a bill tomorrow that I'm presenting in, in the judiciary committee of the house 
and it's it's in line with a lot of things we've done. It, it amends the Constitution to protect the right of the citizens of Montana to hunt, fish, and trap, and harvest wild fish and wildlife, including the right to use current means and methods. And it doesn't take away any property, private property rights. It doesn't allow for public trespass on private property. Also, it gives the state, um, to, causes the state to give preference to hunting, fishing, and trapping by citizens as the primary but not exclusive means to control fish and wildlife populations for the benefit of Montanans. So that means we wouldn't be bringing in wildlife services um, or other government agencies to control wildlife as they've done in the past. We wouldn't be using state agencies to control wildlife. In the Clark Fork River, there for a while, the State Department of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks was electroshock and walleye on the ground, on their spawning grounds, and killing them because they didn't want walleye in Noxon Reservoir. Noxon Reservoir is a pretty good walleye fishery. The people pay licenses to fish there. So this bill would allow citizens to go ahead and control populations. But it still gives the state the necessary management statutes from the legislature that are man that are authorized by the legislature to the designated fish and wildlife agency that controls that. So this bill would give the citizens a right to hunt fish and trap and harvest fish and wildlife, including the right to use current means and methods. And current means and methods is the important thing there because it's what we have on the books, the methods that we have right now to be able to use for harvesting fish and wildlife would stay on the books. We couldn't have animal rights coming in with ballot initiatives that would say, well, you can still trap, you just can't use foothold traps anymore. Or you can still hunt, you just can't use dogs to hunt anymore. Or you can still fish, but you can't use um, treble hooks anymore. You know, all these different things that have come into other states, um, we're protecting what we have on the books right now so they won't be nickeled and dimed away by animal rights people in other states. Um, and this is not a something unique to Montana. There's a, this basically follows the, what other states have done with their constitutional amendments. I've got a list here of other states that have the strong right to hunt, fish, and trap. You know, they include Arkansas, Idaho, Kansas, Iowa, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Alabama, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Nebraska, North Carolina, Oregon, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Virginia. Now, I mentioned Iowa and Oregon in there because they're, they have, their legislatures are working on the exact same bills in their legislature as we speak. Uh, they're trying to get those bills passed through there because they're seeing animal rights groups coming in, nickel and diamond away the stuff that they can do. And I have to go back to a quote by a man who was uh, an animal rights activist. He used to be the head of the Humane Society of the United States. And in 1990, he said, we are going to use the ballot box and the Democrat process to stop all hunting in the United States. We will take it species by species until all hunting is stopped in California. Then we will take it state by state. And that was in, he said that in 1990. And since then, I've got a list of oh, approximately 30 ballot initiatives that were brought by animal rights people in a number of states. We had four ballot initiatives that would have banned trapping on all public lands in Montana. Four ballot initiatives between 2010 and 2016. In 2016, it re did reach the ballot, and it was rejected by 63% of the voters in Montana, and it failed in 55 out of the 56 counties. But these groups don't stop, and they're going to come back, and we, I want to try to put a strong constitutional amendment out there so we'll stop them nickel and dime in us away in Montana. So that's the bill I'm presenting tomorrow, and um, I think it's, it's people tell me it's the most important fish and wildlife bill for Montana that we've got this legislative session. I'm glad you brought it up because that was next on my list to talk about. Um, uh, Lynn, I know uh, in my notes here, I see also that I know you've got meetings and stuff to get to. Do you need to scoot on out of here? Because uh, I, I still have just a couple questions on this very important buildup with Paul. Do you need to head out? 
If I could. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, thanks for joining us, and and uh, we'll we'll uh, get back with you as we, the session closes out and see how we did. But thanks, Len Heligard, for what you do, and and uh, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great, thanks, Dale. Now, hey, Paul, I want to take a little break here, and then we'll get back to Paul in a second. Paul, just hang on. Um, and this is important. Don't go anywhere because we're going to talk about how you can get involved with this very important bill that Paul is working on. Because if this passes, it goes on to the ballot for 2024, and then it's going to be up to you. And the whole idea is to guarantee your right, your right to be able to continue to hunt and fish and trap the way you've been doing it. So uh, we're going to get into that in a second. But I want to tell you about some folks uh, – that I think are fantastic. And of course we couldn't do the podcast without our great sponsors. I'm talking about Rocky mountain truck and trailer. You know, when you're ready to invest uh, in a new or even a pre-owned cargo trailer, uh, Rocky mountain truck and trailer is prepared to exceed all your expectations. When I talk to people that have been out there, uh, they come back and go, wow, I had no idea. These guys were so knowledgeable. I mean, this isn't just like, you know, you you go to the box store and you see a few trailers laying around the parking lot and they go, hey, we sell trailers too. No, th these guys, this is what they do for a living. Selling trailers so you can get around to where you want to go. Or maybe you want to modify your truck and get, well, like a CM truck bed. CM truck beds, bar none, some of the best. Or uh, they're also a Diamond C dealer. These are products that are second to none specifically for the needs to be able to haul things and get the job done as a Montanan out there and get it done right and safely. Uh, the other great thing about Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer is um, they are a complete full service dealer. In other words, they have a service department, they have a parts department, and their whole idea is to create relationships with people so that down the road, you know, when you when you need to get a larger trailer or modify this or that, uh, you know right where to go. They know who you are and what you had in the past and can help you. I, I just can't stress enough how reliable and great these folks are. Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer. Now, you can call them 406-549-4243. They're located in Missoula, Montana. That's at 5680 Expressway in Missoula. 5680 Expressway in Missoula, it is going to open your eyes. Once you go to Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer, you're going to go, why did I ever do go anywhere or do this with anyone else? So go see my friends at Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer. Paul, uh, this, is a, this is a really interesting uh, bill that you brought up here. What we're talking about is a constitutional amendment, correct? A state constitutional yes, amendment. Okay. Yes, sir. Now that is that is a, a lot different, and uh, as I understand it, a lot harder to get through. Am I correct on that? There's different forms of constitutional amendments. This would be a legislative constitutional amendment. So if it passes through the House, you know, it'll be heard in a House committee, Judiciary Committee. Then I'll have to present it on the House floor for second reading, and then it'll have go through a third reading on the House floor, and then it would go over to the Senate, and I'd present it in a Senate committee over there, and then it would go on the Senate floor, and I don't present it on the Senate floor. I'd have to have a, a senator present it for me on the Senate floor because I'm not a member of that Senate chamber, and then it would have to go for a third reading. Now, it doesn't have to pass. What it needs is 100 votes. It's got to have approval by two-thirds of the legislature. Then it goes straight to the citizens. It doesn't go to the governor for signature or veto. It goes straight to the citizens, and it would be on the 2024 ballot in November. Okay. So this is uh, – I've got 97 co-sponsors on this bill. I don't know of any other bills in the legislature that have 97 or more co-sponsors on it. It needs 100 votes to get out of the legislature. So that's 97 co-sponsors from the House and the Senate. You're Pretty almost good. there then. Yeah. <laughs> You're real All 97, 
All 97 are from one party. Hmm. Okay. And there's five, there's five people in that party that did not co-sponsor the bill, but they voted for the bill last session when I brought it, and it fell two, shorts, two votes short of passing last session. So I'm bringing it again. It's backed by a, a lot of sportsmen's groups, and those sportsmen's groups have already pledged $1.2 million to help promote this during the November 2024 election so that the citizens of Montana would have good information when they go to vote on this. So this it is should not be, it should not be a bipartisan bill by any means because there's hunters, fishers and trappers in in both parties. But it uh it it may come down to that. Now people will argue against it and the biggest argument against it they say is Montana already has a constitution amendment. This is already protected in Montana. So I'll tell I'll read to you what the present Montana Constitution does to protect it. It says it, it's in Article 9, Section 7. It's called the Preservation of Harvest Heritage. It says the opportunity to harvest wild fish and wild game animals is a heritage that shall forever be preserved to the individual citizens of the state and does not create a right of trespass on private property or diminution of private property rights. So it's an opportunity compared to a right. It, it calls for the harvest of wild fish and wild game animals. Wild game animals, by definition in the Montana Code annotated, is deer, elk, moose, antelope, caribou, mountain sheep, mountain goat, mountain lion, bear, and wild buffalo. Does not include upland game birds, does not include waterfowl, does not include fur bearers, does not include predators, does not include animals classified as non-game animals. So when the one that I'm bringing tomorrow, it says wild fish and wildlife, which would include all those other groups besides just game animals. Now, an opportunity, when you buy a lottery ticket, you have an opportunity to win a prize. You don't have a right for that prize. So the opportunity to harvest wild fish and wild game animals is a heritage. Well, there's a lot of heritages out there, but it's not tied in with a right. We talk about private property rights. We talk about water rights. We talk about tribal treaty rights. And rights are a lot different than an opportunity. So the language I'm using is supported and recommended by attorneys from the National Rifle Association, from the U.S. Legislative, U.S. Congressional Sportsman's Caucus, and it's used by a number of other uh, states. And they, they always go with the right. And that's what I did. I didn't make this language up myself. I used the template and the format that's been recommended be, to me by very good organizations and other states that have passed it successfully. And when these ballots issues, whatever state it has been in, when they're, hurt, when they're voted on by the public, they're, they're approved between 75% and 89% of the people vote for them. So they're very popular with the public, and that's why I want to try to get it to the ballot in 2024. But we got to get it through this legislature, and we need 100 votes to do it. Now, th this is key, what you brought up, as far as th this becomes law when the people say, yep, uh, that came through the legislature. I like it. And so we as the people are approving it. Uh, and is that just a, a, a popular vote at that point? So it, it, if it hits the hundred in, in the legislature, it gets on the ballot. And then it's just majority at that point on the there. Or is there a certain amount like the legislature that it has to pass by? No, it needs 100 votes from the legislature. There's 100 people in the House of Representatives and 50 senators in the Senate. Mm -hmm. So out of that 150 legislators, if 100 people vote for it, it automatically goes to the people to vote on. If it gets a majority of the vote, 50% plus one of the people that vote on it in November, then it becomes part of our state constitution. Okay. We can pass laws in the legislature, but the next legislature can come in and overturn those laws. Mm -hmm. But once we get it on the Constitution, then it's embedded there. And like I said, you know, we've, we've had a, a constitutional harvest and heritage clause that came into effect in 2004. That ended up being a compromise, 
and people that have testified that that's a uh, it implied this and it really meant that words matter and in law words matter in court words matter so i want to put this into a make it a right not an opportunity and uh and specify that it includes wildlife not wild game animals and i want to make sure that it also allows the use of current means and methods because people could say well if you can still use a mouse trap you got the right to tra- you have the opportunity to trap <laughs> yeah not going to work um what have you heard now obviously you've got 9 co- 97 co-sponsors so you know that that uh, seems to be well received in the legislature when you have been talking to your constituents and and uh, your your uh, your colleagues out there, when they've talked to their constituents, what are, what's the temperature you're getting from the people of Montana? How are they receiving this idea, this bill? Well, in 2016, when Initiative 177 was brought by an animal rights group out of Missoula that would have banned all trapping on all public lands, Montana sportsmen spent a half a million dollars fighting that ballot initiative. And a lot of sportsmen, individuals, spent hundreds of hours, and collectively, sportsmen spent thousands and thousands of hours fighting against that ballot initiative. And it was, like I said, it was defeated. 63% of the people voted against it. It didn't gain a majority of the votes in 55 of the 56 counties. The only county it got a majority of the votes in, it got like 50.2% of the votes. So the citizens of Montana rejected that. But Montana sportsmen don't want to have to fight these ballot initiatives every other year. And, uh, you know, you see the signs around Montana uh, as you drive in and out of Helena, you know, and there's all they got animal rights ballot initiative, animal rights posters up there, you know, against trapping, against wolf hunting and and different things like that. So it's a constant thing. You know, the, the laws we passed last legislative session were challenged by animal rights groups out of New Mexico and California. And those had to be defended in Montana court. Mm -hmm. Well, hunting and fishing in Montana is, is just, it's in our DNA. It's, it's part of who we are as Montanans. And, um, and really it's important for our future in in a lot of different ways. When, People get out and hunt and fish, and this is my opinion, but I'll, I'll get on my soapbox a little bit here. To, when they get out and hunt and fish, you know, when you talk about what's good for the environment, well, one way to understand the environment, know it better, and that is to get out in it. And that's what hunting and fishing gets you to do. And it also brings families together. It brings Montanans together. Um, I've spent a lot of time out on the water and all around the state. Um, and there's just nothing like the, the, the sportsmen and women and how we get together and do that. And, and I guess what I'm saying is a, a state that plays together stays together and, and knows each other better. So to me, I, I feel this is important. But what I hear, and, and I'm, I want to read it, and I'm encouraging all of our listeners to read this and, and see what they think. But what I'm seeing here is, am I right in saying that the goal here is to shore up our rights to be able to hunt and fish in Montana? Is, it, is that kind of in a nutshell, right? Yes, with our current means and methods. Mm-hmm. Okay. With our current means and methods. That, and that's the key phrase that's being used in so many states. Mm-hmm. Well, means and methods. Now, now, wildlife management, you know, I, I, I like to hunt and fish and trap, and that's what I, that's my whole life has been based on that, my career. But wildlife management is a science. It's based on data. And management starts with man. M-A-N is in management, right? So mm-hmm. it's when we're trying to manage animals and there's a lot of different tools that wildlife managers can use. Fisheries managers can use and trapping is a tool. Either sex seasons is a tool. Season length is a tool. Um, weapon choice is a tool. And you can manage all those different things to manage your wildlife populations to meet the habitat needs. Uh, think of a fisherman. You know, you don't use one lure all the time when you're fishing. You know, you have a whole tackle box full of management tools 
you know, for catching this fish or that fish, and the same with wildlife managers. And what we want to be able to do is use the current means and methods, the current management tools that we have on the books now, so we can continue to manage fish and wildlife without um, having that stuff being nickel and dimed away like it's happened in other states. Last question for you. I know you're busy, Paul, so I'm going to let you go. But uh, would this uh, take away our uh, uh, fish, wildlife, and parks uh, agencies or any of that? Or is, is this just kind of give them a, a clearer roadmap? How, how do you see that? No, this, the last, it's a three-sentence bill, okay? And it, the last sentence of that part of the constitutional amendment, the last sentence says, this right is subject to the necessary management statutes enacted by the legislature and regular regulatory authority delegated by the legislature to the designated public agency or commission. So they've still got the management authority depending on what has been delegated to them by the legislature. So it doesn't change that at all. Okay. It doesn't take away any of their um, options there. But what we're doing is we're protecting the current means and methods that are on the books now. How do people uh, go read this and, and look at it? Well, it's on the legislative page. It's listed as House Bill 372. If you go to Montana legislature, there's a little link down there. It says look up bills. You go to there and there's a drop down box and it, uh, you, it says HB, SB, HJ or whatever. So you click on HB. 372, and the okay. bill will come up in front of you. And again, uh, after uh, Paul leaves here, I'm, I'm going to go through with all of you all the different ways you can contact and do that. And in fact, the, the state of Montana, uh, they have a pretty, just as Paul explained, a pretty easy way to do it. And I encourage everyone, before you just hear something and say, oh, this is the way I feel, go read that. Uh, as you pointed out, Paul, words matter. So go read the words. Uh, Paul, I, I want to thank you so much for, for taking so much time and talking with us and for for uh, spending so much time throughout your life uh, trying to protect what's so near and dear to us as, as sportsmen in the outdoors. Uh, so thank you very much. Any final thoughts before you head out? No, it's been a real good talk show. I appreciate the opportunity to share information with your listeners. And um, some people are going to like this bill and some people aren't going to like it. The people that are going to like it are the people that like hunting, fishing, and, and trapping and enjoying our outdoors in Montana um, with those things. Like you said, it's part of a heritage that some people seem to be born with. Um, if, you, if you've been born here, that's a good thing. But some people have to just, it's like in their DNA. Their makeup is that they like to be in the outdoors. They like pursuing these um, activities. And it might not be for everybody, but it goes back to the proper role of government. Life, liberty, the liberty to be able to pursue what we want to do without harming other people. You know, so I consider it a proper role of government and it belongs in the Constitution. So it'll stay there forever and not be nickel and dimed away. Paul Fielder, thank you so much and thanks for what you do. You're welcome. Have a good day. Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. Now, as promised, I'm going to give you some contact information. If you'd like to contact Paul or Lynn, that's uh, Lynn Hellegaard or Paul Fielder, you simply call 406-444-4800. Just leave a message there. You can do that. Uh, it's available from 730 to 5 p.m. That's the legislative information desk. You can leave a message for them there, 7.30 to 5 p.m. That's Mondays through Fridays and on Saturday at uh, 8 a.m. until they adjourn on Saturdays. So uh, that's one way to get hold of them. Another way is for Lynn Hellegaard. You can email her, L-Y-N dot Hellegaard, H-E-L-L-E, G-A-A-R-D at L-E-G-M-T dot gov. That's Lynn dot Heligard at L-E-G-M-T dot gov. For Paul Fielder, you can email him at Paul dot Fielder. That's Paul dot F-I-E-L-D-E-R at L-E-G-M-T 
www.thepeopleshow.gov. So those are the couple ways you can get a hold of them and uh, ask any questions you'd like about what you just heard on this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Montana Outdoor Podcast. It has been brought to you in part by Superior Hardwoods of Montana, home of the largest selection of in-stock, high-end wood products and flooring in the western United States. Let them guide you through the woods at superior-hardwoods.com and by Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer in the Sula, home of Boss Snowplows, CM Truck Beds, and Diamond Sea Trailers. Just go to rmtte.com for more information. So what did you think of today's podcast? Send your questions and comments to downrigger at montanaoutdoor.com. We should be dropping a new podcast this next Saturday. Until then, we will see you soon out in Montana's great outdoors.